You're listening to an extra shot episode on the Project Zion podcast, a shorter episode that lets you get your Project Zion fix in between our full-length episodes. It might be shorter time-wise, but hopefully not in content. So regardless of the temperature at which you prefer your caffeine, sit back and enjoy this extra shot. And welcome to the Project Zion podcast. I'm your host, Carla Long, and you are listening to Holy Grounds, a series where we discuss people's spiritual practices and the effect that they have on their lives. I'm here today with an awesome lady, Brittany Longsdorf. I met Brittany, oh man, about seven or eight years ago in California or at Graceland. I don't really remember. But I do remember how much her ministry changed the lives of people she encountered. And I'm sure that she continues to do that exactly where she is. So hi, Brittany. Welcome to the show. Hi, Carla. So happy to be with you. I think it may have been 10 years ago. No, it's not. (laughs) I know. That's going to date us. But look at our beautiful history and that we get to have virtual coffee together today. So lovely. So thanks for inviting me. I'm so happy. Oh, I'm so happy for you to be here. So Brittany, just tell us about yourself. What do you do and where have you been and all that stuff? Yeah, so I um, am currently the multi-faith chaplain at Bates College in Lewiston, Maine. I'm an ordained community of Christ elder and have been um, probably for seven or eight years now um, and was a Graceland grad and then um, went to a seminary at Princeton Theological Seminary where I got an MDiv studying world religions. Uh, and at Princeton, I got a part-time job doing interfaith chaplaincy work at their undergraduate And just totally fell in love with the work and couldn't stop. And so I pursued that vocation and have been a college chaplain in some form at uh, Princeton and then at Boston University and now at Bates. And I was on campus ministries and was a house chaplain at Graceland as well. So in some ways, I feel like I've been following this vocation for a really long time and uh, being able to live into the fullness of it just in the last five or six years, which has been just an incredible blessing. So um, yes, I live in Maine now. I love being near the Maine woods and near the coast and uh, have a lovely partner named Carson and a really adorable rescue puppy named Jovi and life is good. Ah, oh, it sounds like life is good. Um, do you enjoy living in Maine? I do. I just, I love seasons and it means so much to me. I actually feel like my body and my spirit really needs those turns. So I love having like a deep, deep Northwoods winter as well as like this really beautiful coastal summer um, and the long falls that New England is known for. And so our spring, I will say, lasts like only maybe two weeks. So that's not so much of a robust season. Oh, wow. We go right from winter because our winters are like six months long um, into summer. But uh, no, I do. I really love living in Maine. It, I think it matches uh, my personality and spirit really well. So I feel really lucky to live here. It kind of sounds like a commercial for Maine, actually. I should get paid for that. Where, yeah, where's my sponsor? You really should. <laughs> it makes me want to visit Maine. I've only visited once, and I just thought the lobsters uh, were incredible, not the weather. I don't like lobster. Don't tell other people. <laughs> it's really sad. I know. There's so much good seafood in Maine um, that people really love. What I like is that Maine is having a really robust donut culture, and so that's where I tend to lean into uh the local cuisine ah the natural donut culture of (laughs) me 
That's hilarious. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm sure tons of people go to Maine simply for their donuts as well. So it makes sense to me. Yeah, or at least I just pilgrimage to different donut shops throughout Maine, and I'm going to start the trend. So either way, either way. This is not the worst habit to have, really. You know, yeah, it's good. (laughs) So, Brittany, um, I know that you have been traveling this path for a long time. Uh, House chaplain at Graceland, all the way to Princeton, to BU, and now in Bates College, right? That's what you said? Bates? Yeah, Bates. Um, So... Um, let us tell us what kind of spiritual practice do you use to best connect with the divine? So I think my spiritual practices that I feel the most connected and use the most often are definitely art, uh, spiritual practices. And I usually would group these into two separate groups and one I would call like an aesthetic experience. So like looking at a painting or listening to music or reading and reflecting on a poem and then the other way I would describe it is art making. And so, and they, you know, they can be a little bit of both. Uh, but I tend to do those things most often as spiritual practices, particularly in the morning, usually a couple times a week. Um, and I love art as a spiritual practice because it's so embodied. It's this really experiential moment to connect with the sacred and to feel connected. Um, I think, you know, our society has long really valued theoretical and logical approach to theology, which I have a lot of value in too, but I tend to just really connect uh, more authentically and naturally with this contemplative embodied uh, practice tradition. Um, so I really love it. It's It's been great. And I've been doing some research on it. I'm writing a, dis- I've been writing a dissertation about it truly. Um, as I've also been doing it. And it, it's, it's so interesting. There's so many ways that this is growing in our culture right now, particularly with young adults, which is really applicable to my work as a college chaplain, um, that young adults are just finding particular homes with the arts where they maybe aren't affiliating with traditional religion or institutional religion, but they are reading and painting and singing and going to museums and going to concerts and having sacred experiences in that way and calling those sacred experiences. So, um, it's both, it's, I'm so lucky that the spiritual practice that I feel really connected to is also something that, um, a lot of my college students feel really connected to and we can, we can explore together. So, um, yeah, definitely arts a spiritual practice is the way I best connect with the divine. So why do you think that is, why do you think it's become so popular? I, my only guess is, and you can tell me if you think I'm wrong, but my only mm-hmm. guess is we are so used to doing that it's really hard for us just to sit and be. And this is kind of like a connection, like a bridge between like the doing and the being. Or am I completely off? No, I think that's really right. I think, um, you know, em- embodied spiritual practices like dance or song or poetry, um, they connect this doing with being, uh, but with a very different lens in that you're not doing to produce, you're doing to do, you're doing just to be in the process of movement, which can feel really countercultural to people when they start doing arts practices and spiritual practices. Like you're not painting a picture, you're painting and that's it. You're painting to connect and, and to explore what comes up in you while you paint. Um, so I would say yes and no, it is sort of this, uh, you know, doing connecting to being thing, but a different kind of, it's like doing and being all in one moment instead of doing and being, being two separate things. Um, and I also think, you know, we've become a really words heavy culture. And so having 
an experience, a really tangible experience is just so refreshing uh, for people and I think memorable and it can live in you and, and continually connect you to what you hold as sacred um, even through challenging times. And so, yes, I think those experiences also tend to give it some weight for people, which is great. And I also think, you know, it's hard for me as much as I say like, oh, you know, our society is, is really focused on rational and, and logical theology. Like the ancient traditions of theology are actually really artistic and deeply embodied. You think about like contemplatives, um, like monks and hermits and saints, um, you know, St. Francis, St. John of the Cross, Teresa of Avila, Rumi, they're poets and dancers. David in the Bible is a singer. I would argue that Jesus was an artist. He almost always taught lessons through story form, through parables, instead of just giving a logical explanation <laughs> to something. And that the arts are actually really deeply ancient theological tools. Um, and so in some ways, it's nothing new that I'm tapping into or that young adults are signaling, um, but something really, really old that people are reclaiming which is really beautiful to see and for me to try to experience in my own spiritual practice. Oh, gosh, for sure. And I'm sure that you get people like me all the time who say the words, I'm not an artist. And like, I would be worried <laughs> that people would judge what I did. Right. And so like, that sounds just a little bit scary to me. How do you talk to people who think that sounds a little bit scary? To yes, that's really important. It is so scary. Creativity is a really terrifying thing, actually. And a little bit. Yeah, I think a lot of spiritual practices are really scary um, at first, especially. But usually, so when I am like running a small group or um, leading arts as a spiritual practice for anyone, I always say, you know, give an explanation about this is about process, not about product. And I explicitly say before we start anything that there will be no show and tell. Like no one is ever going to see what you've painted here, unless you want them to. Um, and then when we do like our debrief and reflection together at the end, I actually have everyone turn their paintings over. So as they talk about them, no one can like look over and see them so that it really kind of takes the edge off and takes the pressure off. But still it's really hard even at, I mean, our inclination is to make things how we see them in our head, you know, and to make things beautiful um, with our concepts of very typical concepts of beauty. And so it's, it's hard. It's, um, it's an emotional uh, challenge and, and I think a mental challenge as you start this practice particularly. But I just am really upfront that like no one's going to see this. No one's going to judge this. This is not show and tell. And then a lot of times in, the, in my practice itself, um, I do and, and whenever I'm leading it with a group, I'll encourage people to tear it up after we're done or wipe it away or um, not hold on to it because it is really about the moment of connection in the process of creating with the creator, um, more than it's about the created thing. Um, so those are some helpful tactics for people who don't like consider themselves a capital A artiste, you know, yeah. <laughs> be really intimidating. That sounds really smart. Um, I think I would like to sit in on one of your, um, practices. So speaking of the practice, actually, can you like walk us through it? Like, um, how do you get them to get, or you, to get um, brush to paper or pen to paper? And, and what's the, what do you think through? And do you have any rituals and all that stuff? Yeah, I think uh, ritual and intention are the two things that I try to be really attentive to as I do this practice myself and as I lead others through it. Um, so usually 
just like walk you through a typical one is that I would have everyone come in and explain to them what we're going to do and how um, it's this process. I usually, I love this uh, Thomas Merton quote that says, art enables us to lose ourselves and find ourselves at the same time. And so I talk about connection and release happening in the creative moment. And then we do a ritual of centering and breathing and quiet. And I usually ask people um, to descend into a well of stillness, which is a quote that I've borrowed from Christine Balter's painter. And so we descend into our own wells of stillness and take some quiet and centering time. And then I, something that's really become important to me is to bless the artistic tools. So if, if we're painting brushes or hold water and we'll say a blessing together over them, I'm writing, hold pens and paper and say blessing over them. And then um, as we bless our tool, after we bless our tools, we'll do a little bit more, more centering silence where I'll ask people or myself to contemplate the image of flow and to pay attention to the emotions and thoughts that are stirring within me and to give myself a moment to um, just let go of control of, of what I want something to look like or what symbols I want to create, but just sort of see what images and shapes and colors rise up in me naturally in that moment and then begin the painting practice. And so then um, we'll usually paint for or write or doodle for half an hour, 40 minutes. Um, and I'll ring a little bell or set a timer on my phone to end that time. Uh, and then spend some more time in quiet to see what reflections I can find what I learned about myself, what I found in connection to God, what I learned about my understandings of the sacred. Um, and usually if it's just me, I'll, I'll journal a little bit of that. And then if it's in a group, I'll lead discussion for people to get to share um, things that started to stir within them in that moment. So, And then often, like I said, I'll have people tear up their painting or wipe it away or um, hide it or something so that it becomes less about less about the piece of art and more about the process of, of creating. Oh, that's really helpful. Thank you for saying all that. Um, I can actually picture in my head leading something like this now that you say it. I mean, it sounds so helpful. And it's surprisingly simple. Like I tell my students all the time, like ritual is so cool and so transformative. It can be, it can be 30 seconds of silence before you do something completely ordinary, like you know, washing the dishes or going for a walk. And then it becomes a sacred moment. It's all about just like setting aside the time in a ritualistic and intentional way, I think can be really powerful. It's not particularly difficult. (laughs) Um, It just takes, it just takes intention. It takes energy towards and focus towards a certain activity. I'm totally with you on that. Absolutely. So you've already given us a few tips, but are there any other tips, you know, that you've learned um, through the years of doing this that could help our listeners if they wanted to try something like this? Yeah, I would say it's important um, to create the space. So wherever you are creating, uh, make sure it's a comfortable space and there's like good lighting that you feel good about. Maybe if there's art that inspires you or music that inspires you, have that be a part of that space. Um, I'd say feel free to be silly. Uh, Usually when I lead these programs with students, there's some laughter and that is so fine and okay. Because I actually think 
in creative spirituality, there is this huge element of play um, that connects us to that sacred moment. And so I think that's also really encouraged. I would also, I think I mentioned this in the outline, but I do really encourage setting a time limit because it's easy to get lost unless you have like endless amounts of time to do it. Um, it's really easy to get so pulled in to the movement of creation that you, you don't know how to conclude and you can't give yourself an out. So I would say like, always make sure you have a, a mode of conclusion in mind. Um, unless you want to be in that state for a really, really long time. Um, yeah. So just like be gentle with it, be silly, set intentions and, um, just try to, to try to not produce something that you want to keep, <laughs> I guess, to try not to, to be productive. Unless it's absolutely the best, 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 best thing you've ever done. Right. Or yeah. No. In which case, send it to your mom. Exactly. <laughs> um, she is the person who will agree that it's the best, best thing you've ever done. <laughs> how did you know that? <laughs> so, um, how, how have you found doing this practice changes you or it changes your day or changes your students? Do you notice a difference from the way they come in and the way they leave or how, when you start mm -hmm. to when you finish? Yeah. So I think if I, if I do it, I usually try to do it in the morning and I find that it roots me to purpose throughout my day. It, you know, makes me feel confident, empowered, and connected to the sacred and just more self-aware about my role within the sacred earth, um, which often affects, like, the quality of my interactions and relationships with other people. So if I do it early in the day, I, I do feel like it carries me in some ways. Um, with my students, you know, it's so funny. That's usually the first question I ask when we – are coming out of the creating space, I'll say like what's shifted in you either emotionally or in your body. A lot of people will notice physical shifts like that they were really tense or their jaw was locked or something and, and that they have loosened that grip and are more relaxed. Um, a lot of people, a lot of students will comment that they felt really emotionally um, fuzzy or confused or tangled up when they got in and through the process of creating, we're able to gain focus and gain understanding about what emotion or feeling needed the most attention right now. Um, and my favorite thing I think that I experienced and that I think I hear students articulate a lot is that in the moment of creating as a spiritual practice, it just reminds them that there is something transcendent and something bigger than just them in that room with that brush, but that there's these movements and these feelings and ideas that are connecting them to something more. Um, and so I think that in itself is hugely transformative and a really important reminder. Oh, for sure. I mean, we all do this, but like kind of, especially when you're in college, it's so easy to get wrapped up in yourself and to just become all about you and all about the things you have to do and all about all the stuff you're going through. And so to even open that door just a little bit is probably a huge moment for them. Mm -hmm. And I think just anytime you have this inclination to say thanks, like to the universe, to yourself, to God, if you believe in God, like that in itself is just like one of the best things I could possibly offer myself or any any student or anyone that I'm interacting with is that moment of transcendent gratitude. And I think 
uh, creativity often does that. Oh, definitely. Gosh, thank you so much for explaining that. So I, I usually ask if, if this, if someone has told me about a personal practice, I ask them what their favorite group practice is. If they tell me about a group practice, I ask them what their favorite personal practice is. But this is kind of both. So I'm going to give you a little opener and I'm going to say, do you have a favorite second spiritual practice that you like to do or you do on a regular basis or one that connects you also with the divine? Mm -hmm. Well, I think mostly I've been talking about like creating and art making. I would say my second favorite spiritual practice is reading poetry. I really love to read poetry in the morning and sometimes at night and just rest with beautiful words and see what they can reveal to me about God. So I think that would be my second favorite. I've also meditated for a long time um, and have really gone in and out of relationship (laughs) with uh, seated meditation. Um, And I love that spiritual practices are called spiritual practice and that you never perfect it. So I don't really have that much guilt about going in and out of seated meditation. I can always come back to it and learn from it and be in practice. Um, so that's great. I, I don't know if I have a clear second favorite. I have a really clear least favorite. Oh, what is that? <laughs> that. I have been so challenged by yoga, <laughs> which is so hip and cool and has so many beautiful things to offer. And college campuses have more yoga than you would believe. <laughs> and so I am constantly trying to do yoga and I want to love it. I do, And I, when I do it, it does like open really interesting things up in me. But it's so uncomfortable. Like my muscles hurt and I, I just get into this space where I'm like, oh, why am I making myself like uncomfortable? It's a spiritual practice. And so I've been really trying to explore that. I've been doing a lot of work with yoga recently, even though I really... I feel like I dislike it, but learning about discomfort itself as a spiritual practice, that spiritual practices aren't just about making you feel good. Um, they're about breaking you open and that, and so that you can be transformed and that discomfort is often a way to be broken open and to have this really vulnerable connection with God. So I would say yoga is one of my uh, most practiced spiritual practices and also my least favorite <laughs> right now. Oh, I am so sorry to tell you, you are right. That does not make you cool. Be- <laughs> doing yoga is like the coolest thing you can possibly do. I know. I know. I know. I can barely get through a sun salutation, but I sure try. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for sharing that very vulnerable part of you with us. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome that you really jumped in with your least favorite. I really appreciate that. (laughs) Sorry to go off script a little. No, no, I loved it. Uh, So how did you first learn about or get turned on to spiritual practices? What part of your journey through chaplaincy and, and working in universities did that happen? Or was it before? Oh, you know, this is hard to identify. I think it was probably before I actually came into Graceland as an art painting major um, and was an art major for a year and loved, loved painting, but really struggled in the classes uh, because I felt like I couldn't master technique or really I just wasn't motivated to master technique or to offer critique or to receive critique. And I just wanted to paint to paint. And I quickly realized that studying art, um, particularly studio art, that was not really conducive just to want to paint because it felt like a sense of connection and release. It was more about, you know, like continually growing in your in your technique of painting. And so I think I knew for a long time that like this was something I loved to do, but I, I probably wouldn't have called it spirituality 
back then. Um, and then uh, I've had these moments in life where I've had really powerful um, mentors and groups of women who would get together and read poetry and really rest in that and discuss it and try to reflect. Uh, and I think those moments were the first ones where I identified as really spiritual and really transformative and really helped me feel connected to God. These like poetry circles with incredible other souls in the room. Um, but I don't think I got language for it really until I started doing college chaplaincy work. I started hearing about other college chaplains that were doing these really incredible like ecstatic dance groups and spiritual drum circles and these like painting art and soul nights. And I was like, Oh my gosh, yes, of course. Like, of course this is spiritual practice. And, and, um, then started to read really extensively about it. Um, and then started to research really extensively about it because I wanted to see how this was rooted in theological history and how it plays out now, particularly on college campuses. Um, and so, yeah, so I began reading about it and found out that it's actually being lived out and experienced in really beautiful ways and, and is, grow is a really growing field, arts and theology um, and the creative spiritual practices. are a really uh, growing field right now, which led me to uh, write a doctoral thesis <laughs> about it. So, um I think I experienced it much earlier than I was able to articulate that that's what I was experiencing. Which is really important because then you recognize how the importance of it before you even put a name to it. And someone's like, have you ever done a spiritual practice? And you're like, no. And then you're like, wait a second. Yeah, exactly. Maybe I have. That's exactly how it was. I was like, oh, you know what? Those are actually probably my most spiritual moments. Like, <laughs> so yeah, no, it's definitely been been that way. Well, I'm probably actually going to regret asking this question because you had just um, turned in your first draft of your doctoral thesis, right? Yeah. And, um, or dissertation. Yeah, thesis. Yeah. Thesis. And, um, and so uh, I, my next question is, oh, shoot. Do you have any books that you would suggest <laughs> to our listeners? Maybe one or two or 50 um, yeah. about your favorite spiritual practice or some other things that you've learned? I narrowed it down to like six that I was going to share with you. Impressive. I pulled from my like bibliography of like 90s, <laughs> but, but these I think are really good for people who want to actually try um, and want to experience it. And some of these books are really about personal exploration of creative spirituality. And some of them are about, there's some really interesting work coming out about congregational creativity um, and the oh, arts cool. um, helping congregations to thrive in their neighborhoods and communities. Um, so I would recommend Christine Walters Paintner, and she wrote two great books, one called The Artist's Rule and one called Awakening the Creative Spirit. And she's a Benedictine abbess and also an art therapist. And so she really has these very practical books of, they're usually like eight or 10 weeks sort of guidebooks about the theology of a particular arts practice and then gives you like the outline of how to actually do that practice. Um, and she's great. She also has a great website called Abbey of the Arts where she blogs and like gives new art ideas and she takes groups on art pilgrimages and just does like all these cool things. So she's really great. Um, there's a good book called Arts Ministry, Nurturing the Creative Life of God's People by Michael J. Bauer. And that's a really congregational arts ministry book. Um, and then slightly more researchy, but really good, is uh, Robert Westnow's All in Sync. And he also has another book called Creative Spirituality. And that's about the growth of um, creative spirituality and arts practices as spiritual practices and how they've sort of tracked 
particularly through American history and how they're being lived out in congregations and with young adults now. Um, so it's, it's a little data heavy, but I think super fascinating if you're really interested. So those would be my top recommendations. Oh, gosh, thanks. Those sound really cool. I especially like the congregational one. I'm in a congregation pretty much all the time now. So it'd be really cool like to start something like that, perhaps in our congregation. I bet it's something that kids really could get into as well. Yes. It is. It's so it's so kid friendly. It's very intergenerational, really, the art making process. And a lot of congregations are doing really, really cool, um, interesting things with the arts. So, yeah, I would really recommend that one highlights a lot of like um, sort of case studies of what people are doing and what's going well, which can be really inspiring and really helpful. Oh, for sure. I'm already inspired, just so you know. Well, we're kind of coming to the close of our our podcast time, but is there anything else that you wanted to mention that we didn't get to or uh, any more tips or any stories about the practice that you have and want to tell? Oh, stories. Mm. Gosh, I I feel stumped a little bit, but uh, I would just say there is so much connection that happens when you create uh, because most religious traditions hold God as a creator in some form. Um, and I think the deep, deepest and probably most ancient rooted belief around arts and theology is that creating connects you to the creator and to be gentle with yourself and courageous in trying creativity as a spiritual practice. I think you will uh, find that connection and hopefully find fulfillment and this overwhelming sense of abundant love and in that moment. Oh, what a beautiful place to close. Thank you so much, Brittany, for being part of the podcast and for sharing this really cool spiritual practice that I I don't know, I can just see taking off all over the church, which would be really exciting. (laughs) That'd be awesome. Oh, I'd be so happy about that. And thanks so much for inviting me. This has been fun and it's good for me to stop and reflect more about it. So thanks for hosting this great podcast and letting me spend some time dwelling with this was really lovely oh gosh you're so welcome thanks again all right take care the views expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official views of the latter-day seekers team or of community of christ the music has been provided by ben howington You can find his music at mormonguitar.com. I'm your host, Carla Long, and you're listening to A Holy Grounds. Crap. (laughs) Why do I keep saying A Holy Grounds?